Hi there. Welcome to Unstuck, the podcast where we have conversations about areas in our life where we may have been or are stuck. Whether that is relationally, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, and often because we are intricately connected human beings, it is a few of these areas all at once. I hope you are well today, podcast friends. I am so excited to be sharing one of my friends, Missy Kava, with you today. She is a deep soul who thinks and loves intensely. One of her gifts is courageously going there on hard topics and asking the hard questions. She's also a wife and mom of three littles. Missy brings so much spice to any conversation. I love her dearly and can't wait to share with you our conversation on friendship. See, I'm already clearing my throat. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so actually what I usually have to do is stop it and just make sure that it really is working. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So, yeah, I was trying to think about when I first met you. And what stands out to me is our first conversations. Hmm. And I think why that stands out to me is because you are such an incredible conversational partner. Oh, thank you. Oh, I mean... That's an honor. Hands down, top five. I mean, I'm serious. (laughs) Like, you are just... So thoughtful in I'm putting that on my tombstone, by the way. (laughs) Great, you do it. Will you you quote me on your tombstone? Yeah, loving mother is like way at the bottom of the list. (laughs) If it even makes it on there. We'll see what my kids say after I die. That's hilarious. (laughs) Well, you are a loving mother. So intentional (laughs) with your three little ones. How old is Evangeline right now? She's... She'll be 12 weeks, I think. And you're here talking to me, so thank you. And Dash is four, Mm -hmm. and Marlo is two. She'll be three in a couple weeks. Okay. Okay. Pretty soon. All right. Yeah, so absolutely wonderful mother, and you do an amazing job mentoring and leading and teaching and loving the moms in our church. So... I really value all of that. But yeah, the first thing that I thought of that just totally strikes me is the conversation partner that you are, that you are so good at dialogue. You and Dan are both incredible at that, though. Um, Yeah, just such good question askers and um, good at challenging, too, and delightful (laughs) (laughs) way. Oh, good. I mean, it is to me. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I know. I really, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be spicy. Well, I told you. <laughs> That's when, true. When you talk with That's us. That's true. We bring the curry to the party. You bring the curry <laughs> to the party. Yeah. So, um, but not just flippantly. There is something very um, truth-seeking about it mm. and some really nice humor that sometimes may be too intelligent for half the people in the room, but (laughs) then we need to work on our delivery. (laughs) But that's part of what's funny is that you're watching it go over half the people's 
reading minds sometimes. I'm like, wait, what? What did they say? Wait, let me think about that for a minute. What did that mean? Well, we do that to our kids to amuse ourselves. <laughs> I've been teaching Dash the word surly. Like, don't get surly with me. He's like, Mom, I'm not getting surly. I'm just mad. <laughs> okay. That's great. He's going to be building his kindergarten teacher's yes. vocabulary. <laughs> They will have to get out the dictionary. Oh, it's for our amusement. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, you and I have had some conversations about friendship that have been really interesting to me. And so I wanted just to talk with you about that and find out um, some of your thoughts. I know I know that the title of uh, my podcast is Unstuck and... And I think that we can get stuck in friendships in a variety of ways, but there's such an important part of our life from early, early on. You know, I'm even watching Hillary in preschool and her friendships and what they mean to her. And, you know, I know now Eloise was not, and she laughs about it now. She actually wasn't as into her friends in preschool. Mm. She's a little bit of a loner. She has these memories of people trying to get her to play and she really didn't want to. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And my other three have not been like that at all. They're just Mm. off the chart social. So, I mean, and friendships are important to her too, but it's interesting to see how different they all are. So now that's interesting Mm. because, you know, only knowing Eloise and Lillian from a little bit of a distance, Lillian seems as quiet to me as Eloise, Mm -hmm. but you see her in a more intimate setting all the time. So what, what are the differences that you see there? Yeah, that's so funny that you say that because it's true at school, especially early on, they were seen very similarly as being very quiet. Mm -hmm. And that shocked us because at home they are so different. Now Lillian is very studious and she can be very serious. They can both be very serious in their own ways. She's very determined, a little bit, very much perfectionistic and wants things to be done a certain way. She sets goals for herself and and all these different things, but she is really, she, she just, she's constantly um, involved with her friends. Mm -hmm. You know, as you, but as I think about that, that's changed a little bit in the last year. In what way? Well, I think as school has become more serious, she, her focus has changed a little bit. That's so, I hadn't really thought about that. This year, you know, it's her last year of elementary school and things have started to get kind of competitive. Now, I don't think everyone would bite the competitive bug like she does. Mm. So I think she has picked that up and run with it. Um, but yeah, as things have become more competitive, like she was looking at the computer today, she wanted to see her grades. She wanted to see, mm -hmm, that can be good. That can be bad. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So I think that her focus has shifted just a little bit. She's very concerned about her performance in school. Um, yeah, but she, yeah, I mean, it's cold outside, so she can't really go ride her bikes with all her friends all the time right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, but Eloise, uh, she's, I don't know. Um, okay, so if someone asked them to go do something, 
like go to see a movie, Lillian would probably jump on it. Eloise, uh, and so I would almost be a safe bet for me to tell the mom if the mom texted me, if they were asking Lillian to go. Like, sure, that sounds great. It's almost a safe bet. Mm. Eloise, I've learned, I better ask her first. Interesting. Because she may not always want to go. Now, what were you like as a kid? More like Lillian. Okay. I would have jumped on it. Yeah. I, I loved being with my friends at that age. Yeah. I became more introverted, though, as I got older. Interesting. Yeah. But what about you? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I was born so much later in my family's birth order. Mark and Becky were 15 and 16 years older than me. <gasps> okay. And so they were gone by the time I was two, three years old, off to college. Right. And, um, so I was raised as an only child and, you know, pretty much cause they moved away. Like we were in Wisconsin, they moved to Minnesota right next door, but still, you know, when you're a poor college kid, you're not coming home every weekend. Yeah. And my parents, when I was five, went through a really difficult church split situation. My parents were pastors okay. and so around then we moved up to a rural part of Wisconsin. Okay. And so in moving to a rural part, I became that much more isolated. Only child okay. and super rural. You know, the closest houses were a quarter to a half mile away. Most of them were farmers. I was lucky if any of them had kids. Um, but my cousin lived across the street. Okay. She was five years older than me. Okay. And so when I was young... When I was, you know, five, six, seven, she was, when I say five years older, so she's going through adolescence or puberty, not interested in hanging out with a little kid. But once I hit 12, 13, mm-hmm. then she was much more interested in hanging out with me. I'm sure it was tolerable at that point. Right. <laughs> so she really became my first best friend. Okay. And I didn't have the option to hang out with people as much. So when I did go to school, I did try to make that my social time because it, you know, there weren't just play dates and that sort of thing when you live in the country. And so I can relate to that in in, in this way. So when you said that, what I thought of was I was an only child for seven years in a neighborhood that had no children my age Mm. and there were a group of kids that were five to seven years older than me. Interesting. And I always wanted to play with them. Mm-hmm. And I was the annoying little, you know, elementary kid or even four or five, you know, I was, uh, yeah. Sometimes they would let me hang out. And I feel like because of that isolation, it really drove this desire for friends. Mm-hmm. In a way that I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's normal, but yeah, I feel like it kind of made me even hungrier for friendship, um, especially when I hit middle school. So do you, did you have that same kind of experience? Um, did you notice that happening with you? In, in, in some respects, yes. Now, Heather, who was my cousin and my best friend, she, she was just a lot of fun and there's just not a lot of trouble you can get into in rural Wisconsin. And so, I mean, there is, but there also isn't. If you, if you want to get into trouble, you can find it. But yeah, my parents just didn't give us a curfew. 
like we were, we were at each other's houses, whatever. Or we would like run down to the graveyard that was a quarter of a mile away How and play fun. hide and seek, and yeah, you know, just stuff like that. That yeah. my parents just didn't monitor because they weren't fearful. Wow. And I'm really grateful. What a gift. It was such a gift. And that's something that I struggle with now, even though I've read books and I know statistics and that the world is a safer place. I struggle with the idea of being as open-handed with my kids as I know my parents were for me. I'm hoping as the kids get older that I'll reconcile with some of my fears and allow them to have the childhood that they're meant to have, even though it won't be exactly the same as mine. But in terms of friendship, I, you know, put all my eggs in that basket because it was the only basket there. Your cousin. My cousin. Mm -hmm. But then when she went away to college, I had to regroup. And what I found was I I withdrew from school after I finished the year. I I homeschooled for a couple of years during middle school. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't feel confident as a person. And so I asked my parents who were very pro homeschool and they were like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's homeschool for a couple of years. And then I homeschooled seventh, eighth and ninth. Okay. And by ninth, I had the social bug. Okay. I was too lonely. Mm-hmm. So I just asked them, you know, I want to go back to public school. And they were like, okay. <laughs> and so they let me do that. And I got to reinvent myself during those years. Oh, wow. And During that time, I did think a lot about friendship. Even though I was alone a lot, I didn't feel that lonely because I could Mm. feel myself. I had the space to kind of become who I felt like I was supposed to become. And then when I started to feel the stirring of loneliness, I began to fantasize about the idea of friendship and Mm. cultivating friendships with different people. And you know, thankfully it wasn't that hard when I got to public school again in 10th grade, they were gracious and accepting. And I got in with the show choir girls and, you know, it was just a lot of fun and we got to live out, you know, a great couple of years of friendship. You said you got to reinvent yourself. What do you Mm mean? Um, let's see. I, I wonder what it looked like on the outside. But on the inside, it felt like a massive change um, because I guess I guess you start to look outward a little more once you turn 13, 14, 15. You start to think about, what do I want to do with my life? Yeah. And like, what kind of guys do I like? And, yeah. um, so probably part of that is what kind of girls do I want to be friends with? And, you know, who do I get along with? And who am I? And you... Establish yourself, I think, especially if you have a strong relationship with the Lord and you have a good relationship with your parents, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of room to establish your own identity just in yourself. But then as you get a little older, you start to ping your identity off of other people Mm -hmm. and you, you, you hear back from another person what you sound like or what you act like and you know, some of that's good, some of it's bad, some of it's awkward and you readjust and then yeah. you hope the next time you meet a cute boy, like you don't sound as dumb. Um, so I guess that's probably what I mean by reinvent myself, not a major overhaul, but just, uh, allowing myself to become who I feel like I was becoming at that time. So it sounds like 
you were able to forge these friendships and the identity really out of the security of your relationship with your parents and with the Lord is mm-hmm. what you're saying. And myself. Yeah. 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 Okay. I had a good relationship with myself by that point. Okay. What does that look like? What did that look like for you? I went through, okay, here's part of the metamorphosis during that time. I went from a really pudgy little adolescent and I lost a bunch of weight. And so I was able to go into like 15 and 16 years old feeling much better about myself as a, you know, a a becoming woman. So that was part of the reinvention. And, but I also tried new things. Like I'd go out for musicals. We had a community musical because the schools where I was growing up were just way too small to have like a high school production. So I went out, I tried for things and I, you know, I, I, I got to learn and experience some of that stuff, you know, being in a, in an environment that was uncomfortable, but also a challenge. And when I rose to it, I, I, I enjoyed myself in that moment and I I was proud of like overcoming those insecurities Yeah, because I could feel those instances and I still do to this day. I I think everyone does. You feel that moment where you're like, should I go out with the girls or should I just stay home? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's right to just stay home, Yeah, but sometimes you got to just go for it. Right. You know? So interesting, Missy. I, I get okay. So I'm thinking a few different things, and one of the things that I want to ask is, what was taking those risks? Those take, taking those risks. How were they related to the friendships you had at that time? Hmm. I don't. I don't know. I. I don't know if it was. Uh, a direct correlation with the friendships that I was building because this was all happening during the time when I was on my own during the homeschool okay. seventh day at the night. Okay. Yeah. But I, what I can say is I really believe that it helped me develop a friendship with myself. Okay. And a peace with yeah. who I was, and yeah. I, th- I really think that that's one of the important things about friendship. I believe that there's a a friendship level with God that yeah. we're meant to have friendship level with humans, but also a friendship with ourselves yes. where yeah. we are not at enmity yeah. with ourselves, yeah. but we've, and not even made peace, but just been like, no, you go girl, you got this, you yeah. can do it. You yeah. know, if we talk to our friends, the way we talk to ourselves, we wouldn't have any friends. I know. Yeah. It's so important to be that kind of person. Absolutely. Where you are like, you know what? You try. Yeah. And it, yes, it can get overinflated. And yes, sometimes we need the reality checks, but more often than not, we're much meaner to ourselves. We're our own mean girls, you know? Right. Oh, that's so true. You know, what it makes me think of when I was around that same age, a big part of my life was tennis. And you, I mean, doubles happens, but I, I played mostly singles especially in middle school and you are the only person on that side of the court mm. and your coach, your, your coach, your parents, no one is allowed to talk to you for the duration of the match. 
I mean, if you get hurt or something or if you need, you know, you can go over and say, Hey, but can I have this? But no coaching is supposed to take place. And so these matches last one and a half to three hours. Really? And, I oh, had yeah. no idea. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you are out there. Oh, I, oh my goodness. Yeah. I have memories of matches lasting over three hours because the other girl that I was playing, we just wouldn't give up. And so our, our points literally would be minutes and minutes long because at that point wow. you're not hitting winners quite yet. <clears throat> and so, um, so even if, you know, you're just trying to get the ball back and out, out endurance, the other person. <laughs> so, but you are over there. And I think one of the greatest gifts to me from playing tennis was self-talk because I had to spend hours out there by myself, Mm -hmm. encouraging myself, telling myself, it's no big deal. I know you lost that point. You're going to be okay. Wow. At 12, 13 years old. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I remember being down in a match, um, way down. I can't even remember the score, but I was like, the other person had three points to win the entire match and I was down by several games. So, so I mean, it was, and it was, it was just, I mean, there was no, I mean, it was, it was dire. Like I was going to be out and we had, it was a tournament that was away and we had traveled and, and all of a sudden I was like, I cannot let this happen. This cannot happen. She should not beat me like skill wise. This should not happen. And I remember talking my way through every single point and I, I, I came back and won wow. and it was all self-talk. Nobody could talk to me. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm this middle schooler out there and I have to talk myself up through that. What an achievement. <clears throat> and I think that's one thing I, I think about my kids. None of them so far want to play tennis, but <laughs> not very much. <laughs> uh, I, I think, I don't know if I ever told you this story at four years old. I wasn't even, I'm not like a tiger mom. Like I wasn't even trying to like get Eloise to like play a lot, but I remember she was four and she said to me, she said, mom, I really think tennis is your thing and not mine. Oh, <laughs> four years old, four years old. Oh, it's yeah. insightful. Oh, it was like a dagger oh. in my heart. I, I mean, I tease her about it. Yeah. But she already, she already knew she, it's just how she is. She the knows day she mommy's wants. dreams died. <laughs> My oldest squashed them right away. <laughs> she put me through the ringer and she, it was like induction for the rest of the kids. But <clears throat> yeah, so, but I do look around and think, where are they getting that in other places? If they're not going to get that from tennis, I want them to get that. Like you, you, so you got it from these other things like mm-hmm. the musical and I know Eloise is doing that and so I know they will, but yeah, I mean, so I think these things where you do have to take risks and you do have to put yourself out there, they do help you in how you relate to yourself, which ultimately helps you with how you relate to others. And so another thing made me think about is I think a lot of times that becomes very valuable at certain transition points in your life. Hmm. When your identity is shifting, when you have to figure out again, okay, or, or remind yourself again, who am I? What am I? Um, how, how am I positioning myself in this world and to other people? And so I think now, I know I've talked with you a little bit about this and we, I mean, we were just talking about that. This, I found, I think I'm kind of at that point mm-hmm. where my, uh, it's, it's a season change for me. 
And, you know, I had 13 years of having a child three and under. And when Hillary turned four, I was like, yeah, I think things, this is going to be a new season. And I find myself putting myself out there with things and, mm. um, and like doing what, what's the most recent thing you've done where you're like, go me. <laughs> okay. So you've seen the post burn boot camp, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there's a few of us. Did you know that Sarah Dresser went? No, that's awesome. <laughs> she sure did. She sent a message to Christy and me and said she like almost threw up. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, me too. Yeah, I, okay. I almost threw up looking at your post. <laughs> you know, I go so early in the morning. I can't even believe I do that. If you told me that two years ago I was going to do that, mm-hmm. I, 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 I just would have been baffled because it just was not part of my what, what where I was. But it's like I almost have to now because I'm on autopilot. And I almost don't know what's going on. Like somehow I get out the door and I go and I get back and I'm like, what just happened? I think I just worked out. <laughs> I think I just worked out. I don't even know if my mind was that. You, so, have, yeah. you have PTSD from the yeah. tennis years. Yes. Where you were like three hours of grueling intensive. Yes. You had like, you had like three hour long, um, like isolation torture. It was it deprivation was. tank torture. And now you're like, I can do this right. five thirty in the morning. Right. Seriously. Oh, you know what? I hadn't thought about how tennis could have shaped my personality over time. Maybe more like introverted, you know, cause <laughs> I just spend so many hours by myself. I mean, you're with other people, but you're not really, you're like on the other side of the court by yourself. No, silence is a huge That's one of the things that's most concerning to me about raising a kid in this day and age is Mm -hmm. that silence is what brings out these moments of internal blossoming, Yeah, but also friendship with yourself and with other people. If you think about the people that you're closest to in your life, I'll bet you more times than not... It came from a circumstance where you were thrown in the same room with them, whether you were hanging out together or not. Yeah. And there was lots of silence and you filled it some days and you didn't fill it other days. And like the college years, this is why I think during college you developed some of the most important relationships. Yeah. Or even if they're not the most important relationships, I think it's harder to match them post-college Yes. This is why we experience a lot of loneliness. Oh, Missy. Yeah. So in my therapy practice, one thing um, that I got as a presenting issue was definitely related to this. I would get, um, and I loved working with this age so much. So you've got mid-20s. Mm-hmm. They've left college where they could literally walk out their dorm and it's a party. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, that's college. You've got ready-made friends in your clubs, your sororities, your your classes and all of a sudden all of that's been totally stripped from them Mm -hmm. and they don't know how to do life. They're lonely. I mean, they don't know where to make friends, where to find um, people to date. It's just, I think it's, I think that transition from college to young adulthood is really, really tough in terms of friendships. I think feminism has also changed the landscape too, because you're not pushed into relationships like long-term committed relationships in college. Yeah. Remember how our parents' generation, you went to Bible college because it was bridal college. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you never came out of college without a spouse. And if you right. did, you were going to teach for a few years yeah. at an elementary school somewhere. Right. And then you would, you know, in order to get married or something like that. Yes. But feminism has changed the landscape where people don't, they don't even think that they're going to meet a long-term partner yeah. in college anymore. And so they have nobody to talk to about this. Their mom can't relate to it. Grandma's like, well, I don't know, find a man. I don't know. Right. <laughs> what right. do you want from me? And I think also the lengthening of the lifespan. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you have people living longer and I think that in terms of stages of development, I'm not, you know, and I, I'm not going to pretend that I understand how all this has worked, but as people live longer, adolescence lasts longer. So they say the adolescence oh. lasts really until like 24 to 26 now. So people aren't even ready. They're, they're, they're not 18, 19, 20 year olds aren't the same as they were 30, 40 years ago. So they, they aren't even ready emotionally, mentally, relationally to make those decisions because they're still adolescents. And then you have people living longer, working longer. And so that affects the job market in certain ways Mm -hmm. too. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So that's what, you know, you have people moving back home and yeah. So I think, I think it's, it's can be pretty complex and, and, and really challenging for that age. And of course, yeah, to tell someone who's 25, you're, you're still basically an adolescent. That doesn't, but they don't want to hear that. That doesn't feel good. I'm sure. Yeah. So when you talk to them, do do you, that question, I, I wonder, I don't, I don't know if they are any lonelier than anyone at any other stage, because I mean, I think loneliness in certain ways probably is pervasive to the lifespan for certain situations. Um, I do think they're trying to figure relationships out. They're also trying to figure out their identity because they had this major in college, right? And now they're waiting tables because they can't get a job. Um, right. They, they can't get the job that they wanted or that, that this ideal they had, or at least not in the community where they want to stay. You know, uh, and then, and then what does that do for relationships? You have to pick up and move to get a job. I don't know. I think that, that just, it's a really, I don't have a heart for the, that age, the twenties. It's, it's tough in so many different ways. Okay. So how, how does friendship and its role change or how has it changed over time for you? And that's a big question you have when you were younger and then college, which you've already talked, you, you've already talked a little bit about that. I guess I'm thinking about in this stage, how, how, how is it different for you now? It's role in your life. Well, I think the biggest, um, redefinition of friendship for me would be having to put myself out there again in the ways that I talked about that middle school era where mm-hmm. I got to redefine myself. Mm-hmm. I find myself feeling anxiety about intimacy with other people. Yeah. Because even more than the rejection I was afraid of back then, I just, I don't know. It feels like you don't know how someone's going to take you. I know. Yeah. And because you're not in the Petri dish of high school where you're, 
you have to actively avoid someone if you don't want to be friends with them in high right. school. But nowadays, you can just not call and not text. Yeah. And so you're left with this, like, oh, was that a bad conversation? I thought it was good. Was it not good? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. They'll pull in that, that, in, that insecurity that it's an inequitable match. And you're like, but I like them. It's like dating all over I again. It's like, oh, I, I don't want to call. Is it too soon to call? We just had coffee. <laughs> Do I text? No. She should invite me somewhere next. What if she doesn't invite? You know, <laughs> Oh, Missy, thank you. Thank you for saying all the things out loud. Yes, it's so true. I feel like friendship is so easy in so many ways, and it doesn't feel that way when you're in elementary school and middle school. It feels just awful and so dramatic, but now you, you really put some good words to it. It requires some intentionality and vulnerability that feels incredibly awkward Mm -hmm. in ways that it did not in high school and middle school and college and elementary school. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like we have the time also to be patient with each other. Right. Time just feels like you have to get so much out of every moment with somebody. Yeah. Because it's just too hard like to you know, maybe the kids are playing in the other room and you have this one great conversation. And, but are you ever going to have that again? I don't know. <laughs> right. Maybe once the kids are in college. I don't know. You know, there's been a few people I've seen that we just, I really like them and I can tell that we really connect, but there's, we just don't have a lot of or many at all points of connections where I see them. And so, and and we've laughed about it. Like I'll say to them, I'm pretty sure we would be best friends if it wasn't this phase of my life. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And they're like, yep, I feel the same way. All right. See you in about a year. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Maybe. Oh girl. Maybe. (laughs) I feel you. I feel Okay. So talking about the anxiety about friendship, when you asked me to come and talk about this, I was like, I'm going to find out what kind of friend I am. And I'm not going to ask my friends because that would be reasonable. And I'm not going to ask my enemies because who wants to know the honest truth about how good of a friend you are? I will take an internet quiz. (laughs) What? You did not. I totally did. You took an internet quiz. I totally took an internet quiz. So I I took this quiz. What kind of friend are you? And I'm like, okay. So the first question is like, you were grounded over the weekend, and you see your Where friend. Where was this, Teen Magazine? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Glamour kids. Um, so, And you find your best friend in the cafeteria. Do you, A, um, ask them questions about themselves the whole time? B, do you talk about yourself the whole time? C, do you spend equal time talking about each other to one another? Or D, do you spend a few minutes together and then just go about your day? And I was like, equal time, duh, you know? Right. Going, I'm going through this list. I'm like, I'm a good friend, and I have healthy boundaries. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> so I get to the last question, and I click finish, and it comes up, and it goes, you are a selfish friend. What? <laughs> <laughs> what has happened here? I was, like, so proud of myself two seconds ago, and it was like, How's the weather at the center of the universe? No way. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's harsh. <laughs> I know. That is harsh. I just like shrunk an inch from an internet quiz that made me feel bad. Did you ever myself. figure out what questions you answered? I don't know, but I'll tell you what it made me want to do is ask my friends and be like, 
Am I a jerk? <laughs> you know what? Don't answer right now. <laughs> My feelings are too hurt from the internet quiz that I took. <laughs> I do not experience you as a jerk, Missy. I do not experience you as being selfish oh. at all. Well, the weather's fine here at the center of the universe, just in case anyone's wondering. That's hilarious. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, oh, my, wow. Right? I, I, I think I've really been asking myself about some of that, too, just because I think I'm finally getting to the point where I could actually have friends again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why with everything that's happened, you know, four kids in a row and all that, which I know you understand. I, yeah, I think that somewhere along the way, I I do. I wonder when I'm too much. Yes. When am I too yeah. much? And then what happens is, so I, what I'll do is I'll put myself out there and then it feels really uncomfortable and it feels like I was definitely too much. That was too much, whatever that is. And so then I pull way back. Mm-hmm. And then I think what happens is is I I, I do look like a complete jerk. Mm-hmm. I look like a oh, complete I look I look very self-centered. And uh, and in some ways I am, right? Because I'm so worried about how I look. It's all about me being worried about how I'm coming across. Yeah. So I am actually exactly what I think they're worried of. You know, I, th- I think they, they're thinking I'm incredibly self-centered because I'm so worried and anxious about my stuff. Is that a cycle <laughs> that you just keep perpetuating or have you actively tried to break that at a certain point in your life? I think I'm trying to break it now. So... But yeah, I, you know, it makes me wonder, is that what I did in high school and in mm. college? Because I think I was, I was very driven and, you know, I played tennis and I did my, I mean, like my second daughter that I was talking about, <laughs> I did my thing, you know? And, and there was some points where if, yeah, that, that's what, that was the focus and that, that was supposed to be the priority was the, you know, the pro- productivity accomplishments and I think that really, maybe that helped me feel better. And maybe I hid behind that a little bit. I'm going to figure out so much about myself today here, Missy. Mm. Friendship so is a Rorschach <laughs> test for who we really are, I think. Right. This is important. We can just sit here for a minute. And oh. <laughs> Marvel. Marvel or <clears throat> cower. Cower. Oh my. <laughs> and insecurity and shame. <laughs> I'm breaking my own as we talk. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of darkness there. I know, but okay, so what's... Okay, if we're really honest with ourselves, and I think you brought up a very important point about being too much, because I think that's one of our worst fears. And the second fear is not being enough for someone. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's a personality thing, and you, you and I are just wired this way... Or if it's a generational thing, I'm not sure, or an age thing. Like, we're just in this bracket of our lives where we're acting this way. But being too much is the thing that I worry most about. Okay. So you too. You resonate with that. Yeah, I really do. Okay. But then if you follow that question to the conclusion, what can happen 
if you're too much, like you're just not someone's mm. cup of tea, are you going to not be everyone's cup of tea and right. just die of loneliness? Is that what you think is going to happen? Wow. Or <clears throat> beca- yeah. because here's the thing, like we've all had friends in our lives where we have been too much, right? Clearly. And everyone can attest to it. Right. But those friends, like, loved the heck out of us. Yeah. Wow. So what are we supposed to do now? Because I think what we really want is that kind of friend again. Yeah. Well, when you say that kind of friend again, what are you thinking of? The kind that can handle us being too much. Okay. And don't require (laughs) us to be the perfect amount of everything all the time. Well, where did that perfection even come in? Okay, so when you say that kind of friend again. When did you have that? How old were you? I remember my first friend, Heather, I was able to really okay. be myself. Okay. And I was a crazy, you know, yeah. out of balance kid back then too. So it wasn't right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I definitely had those friends in elementary and then I had some really good friends in middle school, junior high back then. I don't know mm-hmm. what they called it when you were there, but it was junior high school. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, and then, and those same friends through, through high school and, and I had some good friends in college. Yeah. I, and I'm just trying to figure out, although I, but I do think I still struggled back then with worrying I was too much, mm-hmm. but there was just enough space and time to overcome that. Yes. With certain people. And you were forced back together. I don't want to speak for you, but for yeah. me, we were forced back yeah. in the same situation. So even if I was too much on Tuesday, on Thursday, we were at show choir practice again anyway. Yeah. We just fell back yeah. together. You know, and I, I, I went to boarding school for a couple of years. You did? Yeah. So we lived together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we would, I mean, we had classes together. We ate together. We would go down to tennis together and then we'd trek up the hill all sweaty to to eat dinner together. And then everyone has study hall and yeah. And then everyone piles into the TV room to watch 90210. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I didn't, I didn't, I I was always, always like, yeah, no, um, too good. Oh yeah, I was. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> now I'm so mad at myself, Missy. I thought about this the other day. Like I really, I was like, what was I thinking? Why didn't I just go watch Nana? I know. <laughs> I've done that too. <clears throat> I was like, I, why didn't I just go hang out with those people? I know. I, I was probably studying. I don't know what I was doing, but anyway, probably in a three-hour tennis match. <laughs> Could have been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think you're right. And we don't have those same opportunities here. So, oh, it makes me think that in so many ways at this age of life, friendship requires more courage than ever. You think so? Why? I think because because of that intentionality and vulnerability and knowing those fears, like I am, I'm going to be too much and still putting yourself out there because hmm. we, cause we're not put in the same, like you said, we're not, we're not going to have to see them. I mean, we, we will like church and places, but it's not the same. So I think that it, it takes this certain or maybe just a different kind of courage that hmm. it didn't. And, you know, I think one reason why this is becoming more and more important to me is and I told you, I feel like this next stage of life, I do want to be really healthy. And I think that includes in my relationships too. And I've seen so much about, I think men and women, and maybe women even more, 
that the people who are the happiest in their later years have really invested in friendships. Mm. Because I, I feel like that for whatever reason, friendship seems to be very important to our generation Mm -hmm. and maybe even the ones behind us. Like, I feel like it's really important to my brother. He's seven years younger than me and he feels a little, and his wife's 10 years younger than me. So they feel a little like they, like they're definitely, I, I kind of, just over into Gen X, like some, some dates I'm barely a millennial, but I really don't, I feel like I'm more Gen X mm-hmm. and they are clearly millennials. And so like they have the Friendsgiving, you know, mm-hmm. instead of Thanksgiving, those kind of things, they, they make deliberate choices yeah. that cho- honestly choose, chooses friends over family. Mm-hmm. And I've, and I see that I feel like that, so I'm just, I don't know if it's because of the way life is structured now. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe we choose choice over what we've been given too. Mm. I don't know. I might be subject to that where I choose my friends over my family. Yeah. I've had, my family's since I was 18, I moved 1200 miles away. Right. And I really had to forge a family, but when I could go back, I don't think I went back as much as I could have. Yeah. I, I'm trying to keep my stupid bracelets from being like, <laughs> I love your bracelets. Well, they're Marlowe's and I can't get them off. Oh, okay. So speaking of friendship, like this brings back memories, right? Like there's these, there's these, they just make me think of something I would have like shared with friends in elementary school. I should have brought my embroidery floss and we could have done our <gasps> knotted friendship bracelets while we talk. Yeah. You should have. I'm make you one. Oh, good. Just, we can commemorate. Is that too much? You will not <laughs> be coming too off much. Too You're not coming off too strong. All right. Yeah. Plenty of room here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I don't know if we're going to figure out the generational thing, but I think there is something. When you have a baby now, I nursed Eloise. My mother-in-law didn't nurse any of hers, and she was the one I was around out in California. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have always this, this, um, guidance, this kind of map to follow. Mm -hmm. And that's what sometimes it feels like to me with friendship. Like I don't remember seeing in my family how that functioned in a family system. Mm, Okay. You know? So I think that it's, it's almost, it almost feels like pioneering in some way. Like how, how do you, how does friendship work? at this stage of life when you're a mom and you're working and you have family responsibilities. And I think that it's very important. Like it's important for my kids to see that I have mm-hmm. friends. Yeah. I'm glad they saw that you were coming over tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. We told Hillary, okay, you have to go, you've got to stop crying and go to bed because, <laughs> <laughs> because Dash and Marla's mom's coming over. <laughs> Yeah, when I told Dash, I was like, I'm going to see, to my friend's house. And he goes, oh, what friend? I said, to my friend Emily's house. And he goes, to Emily's house. I said, Hillary's mommy. Right. And he goes, hmm, can I come? Aww. <laughs> Aww. I love your kids. No, I no, really nobody do. can come. I'm going by myself. <laughs> Just me. I need to be with my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see what Evangeline's going to be like. Because I just love watching Marlo and Dash. So, yeah. and you know, I love that name, Evangeline. Yes, I don't know. I think I told Dan this. So, 
before we had, I don't know, I don't know where it was. Do you remember Lost? Yeah, I didn't watch it, but I Okay, know. so do you know the main female character? Oh, um, the actress. Lily? Yes. Yes. I first saw that name then, and I thought, oh, I love that name. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, so when I heard, I was like, oh, that's just such a great name. Really good. Anyways, so, yeah, I don't think, I don't know. Okay, let me ask you this. <clears throat> yeah. I was going to bring up my parents not having friends because I always thought it was because they were pastors. And you can't really confide, especially if you have a very mm-hmm. small congregation. Mm-hmm. You can't really confide if your marriage is in trouble or yeah. not that, I mean, I don't know that my parents went through that, but every marriage hits a rock. Yeah. So, <clears throat> You can't be like, you know, going out to breakfast with your deacon and be like, yeah, <laughs> whoo, my wife sure is a nag, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, so they chose to not in- invest intimately with people. They would yeah. spend time with people, but not really bear their hearts. Yeah. So I was wondering if you guys have been through that because you've gone through a couple of different phases in ministry where you went on the mission field. Yeah. And what I want to know is how friendship changed for you once you went on the mission field. Okay. And how friendship changed for you after becoming pastors and a pastor's wife. Right. It's a great question. So when we were in the Czech Republic, we had a really small community. And I think that's how it is for missionaries. And not just missionaries. I'm going to say expats. Have you heard of that? Mm -hmm. That phrase? Right. So we had the expat community is very small. <clears throat> you don't know everybody, but your little niche becomes pretty close. So I had another mom who had a little girl. Her name was Lydia. And in fact, Eloise, um, they were only two, but she remembers. And wow. she brought her up just the other day. We were coming out of church. And she said, remember that little girl that we would always play with in Prague? She wow. had some memory of it. And I was like, yeah, her name was Lydia. Her mom's name was Anne Marie, and she and I would try to go somewhere. Well, we, I mean, when it was nice out, we might meet at the playground every day. And her husband had been placed in Prague. He was an engineer for I don't remember what company, and they were there pretty much the same amount of time we were. Hmm. And so, but you know, I I don't think even though we did pastor the very small church there while the pastors were on furlough. It just didn't feel, it didn't feel very, um, not intrusive or, I, I just didn't feel unsafe with any of them. I, I mean, I, I was pretty vulnerable. I remember there was another woman there who was single and she was a missionary. Her name was Sunny and she and I were friends and we're still friends. She was actually just in class with Reed Harris. Oh, She's, she, they sat next to each other. Small in world. I, oh, Yep. So, uh, which probably plays into this conversation in some way, right? Is the smallness of the church world. But yeah, I think, yeah, Sunny, I remember, and she's trained. At that point, she wasn't. She had a master's degree in, in English. She taught English as a second language. That was her main thing there. I think still is a, a piece of what she does. She went on to become a counselor, though. She mm-hmm. has a graduate degree in counseling now. But this is before that, but she just has that personality. There's just so much room and space there. And I think that as missionaries or as expats, that experience of living cross-culturally 
in itself creates so much space in you mm-hmm. that you tolerate and make room for so much. Mm-hmm. It just, so yeah, I remember crying and talking with Sunny when I was overwhelmed and she was just so kind and so much room and grace. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think we're all in this really exhilarating adventure. It's mm-hmm. also really disorienting and hard. And so it just puts you in a really unique kind of place. Almost like, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, when you go through something really hard together, like a sports team or if you're in battle, you know, you're just a sports team. <laughs> That's right. right. All my right. friends are Packer fans. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. I'm right. <laughs> so yeah, well, John's been a Cowboys fan for yeah. Well, that's a while. we're not friends. <laughs> have you ever seen us go out to coffee together? No, <laughs> nope, you have not. <clears throat> no, right. I, well, okay. You bring up an interesting point because I think that, um, you know, the intensity of a situation will forge relationships. Yeah, much the same way being forced together over and over in silence, like middle school or as you know, at a college roommate or something, you're just yeah. in the same room a lot. I also think that those difficult situations push us together in a way where it doesn't matter if we're too much or not enough. Right. We are, are just friends. Yeah. And I, I wonder if we've become too comfortable in our social environments and we allow the, the idea of choice to be so predominant in the, in what drives us to make decisions wow. and who we hang out with that if we always have to have choices and if we don't keep that, you know, uh, bubble of choices around us, wow. we're not comfortable anymore. But the best thing that can happen to us is that bubble bursting and you're in the same room again with five people over and over yeah. again. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in that situation now with work, right? So I have colleagues that I am going to see every single week and Mm. we're going to be in faculty meetings together and we are going to be, yeah, in on the same hall or offices. And, and I think that it, it is, it's, it, it reminds me of that kind of thing where you're kind of thrown together and you don't have a choice whether or not you're going to see each other. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, things may have been awkward at one faculty meeting and there may have been some tense, you know, moments and you're going to show back up the next day and, and keep going Mm -hmm. and, and figure out who feels safe and who doesn't and, and how, um, how to make all those relationships work. Hopefully, hopefully in a really healthy and meaningful way. I know Emily Zimmer, she and I've talked about work relationships and, she has a really good friend at her um, law practice, and she and I were talking about that. I mean, they're really good friends. You know, they they'll eat lunch and um, maybe go on trips and different things, and or go you know do things together. And she and I were talking, and she said, "Well, this you know this kind of how I see it. I might be at that law firm twenty or thirty years, so she may be one of the longest standing friendships I have in wow. my life." And so it's worth it to me to, to invest in that way. And so this, I, I had never had that really modeled for me either. My dad had a private practice and he, he had friends. I mean, yeah, no, that's not true. He, he did have some very meaningful friends from work, but it's been really helpful to hear Emily talk about that. And, um, because that, that's been an adjustment for me this year is, um, really figuring out, oh, oh, like, 
I am going to be friends with, I mean, I'm, these are my colleagues. Like I'm going to be around them and you know, we may, people may quit and whatever, but there's probably going to be a good number of years where we're around each other Mm -hmm. day in and day out. So that's been kind of interesting, but I think, um, you mentioned, so the missionary missions, then when we came back to Cleveland, to Tennessee, John wasn't the head pastor. He was on staff. And I, I don't think I, okay, there's another unique situation here about that. That's the church where I kind of grew up mm. as a teenager. Okay. So it felt like coming back home in so many ways. Mm. It, it was really a safe place for me. I, I just really love that church. I love those people. You know, no church is perfect at all. And I just, they, they parented me through my parents' divorce and, um, they, they were just really there for me. They, they've seen me at my lowest and at my best. And, and so there's that piece. And then one of the other pastors on staff, his wife was, had, we had gone, we'd been at the same college, although we weren't there at the same time, but we had some common history so we were in the same sorority and just some different things like that. And she and I really bonded and we could talk. Mm-hmm. We could talk shop a little bit. And she worked too. She was a real estate agent. And then I had my therapy practice and I was working on my PhD and teaching. And so she and I really kind of joined around that too. She has three daughters. We both had our youngest, I mean, not our youngest, Emmett and her youngest um, were born right around the same age, time, and so they're they're friends. Well, her old her second daughter and Eloise are best, like really really close. Aww. So I think that felt very safe to me, and um, yeah, I and I, I mean, she and I can. I mean, she'll still call me mm-hmm. and say. In fact, I think I missed a call from her this week. You know, she'll call and she'll just tell me. You know, her dad died a year or two ago, and um, you know, there's still stuff that we we kind of process together. So. But yeah, then we moved here, and it is definitely different once you're, I think, the head pastor. Um, so how has that affected me? Missy, you know, I think it's hard for me to figure out what what is being in that role and what is just my personality. Hmm. So, what do you mean by that? Well, I think... I tend to be standoffish in some ways anyways. Like, I have kind of my world. I love getting close to people, but I am very okay backing off Mm -hmm. and doing my thing. So I think that that has served me, well, I don't know well or Mm -hmm. not well, but it has served me in some function when things have felt uncomfortable. So, because I, I've never minded going to the bathroom by myself. I've never minded doing things by myself. <laughs> so yeah. I just haven't been like, like I've never really understood that dynamic with female friendship. Like I don't, I just don't do, do that. <laughs> You're not codependent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Something. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. Like I've been, um, I've been fine if I've needed to kind of back off. Now I say that. There's definitely been moments of loneliness. And I think, I think I'm, I mean, we've only been here a little over two years. Is that it? Yeah. Wow. I know. That does not 
Yeah. It does not feel like that. Yeah, we, it's, I know, it feels like a lifetime in some ways, but I feel like I am forging through that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have, I have some women at the church that I really trust. Um, that, but you know, I'll never forget somewhat family member who is, um, in a pastoral role. She told me, she said, you have to have friends who aren't at your church. Yes. She said, you have to, because I don't care how close you are to someone at your church. You will never be able to tell them everything. Mm -hmm. And, and so I have really been trying, you know, to figure that part out. And, um, and I, and that's not super easy, but yeah. So I think, yeah, two, two, a little over two years. I'm, I think I'm forging through that. I'm, I'm figuring it out and, and hopefully we'll continue to make my way with all of that. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. It's kind of long. That's yeah, kind of no, long. it does. I think that we all change our mode of friendships based on the different um, seasons that we are in our lives. But I think that your missions and then pastoring seasons are very unique and it's um it's it's a wonder that you're able to find friendship in those seasons no matter what because it, it you know in missions um you have all the cultural things that that happen that stand in the way of true intimacy and friendship and then with pastoring just again being a pastor's kid I see it as, you know, a challenge to be truly open with yeah. somebody else about A, what happens, and B, how you feel about what happens. Right, right. Because those those things, you know, that, that carries a different kind of weight. It's almost like being friends with your boss, you know, because, yes, you can do that to a certain extent, but then if something goes south... Oh, right, right. Well, and one piece that we haven't really touched on is my work as a therapist and how that affects the way I kind of approach friendships. Mm, okay. Tell me about that. Well, and I don't know, as you were saying that, you know, I, I don't know how, I don't know if I have it all, I have all that figured out, but I, I know it does. Like, I think that when you spend hours a week listening and asking questions I, I don't, I don't know if you develop, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure it affects something about your empathy. I'm not sure <laughs> if it makes it less or more than. It looks, it's like being a massage therapist. <laughs> like the last thing you want to do is come home and give your spouse a massage. Right. Like, no, that's oh, what I do all day. You know, do you, do right. you feel like that? Well, okay. Actually, I think that because for different reasons, making room for John and my kids is actually really important to me. And so I, that's something I'm, I just really want to connect and I try really hard to give hugs and I try really hard to, um, to empathize with them. Yeah. It's funny when I was in school in California for my master's, one of my master's degrees, they had a conference and this stood out to me so much. They had this conference for therapists. And one of the sessions was called The Cobbler The Cobbler's Children Has Have No Shoes. Mm. And the idea was that you're so busy making shoes for other people, you, you don't ever make shoes for your own children. 
and that the therapist can fall into that, that you spend all day listening and then it's really hard. But I don't know if that stood out to me and if for other reasons why that's become a real focus for me. Um, but yeah, I don't, so yeah, that I don't know if the empathizing, if I'm, how that affects friendship. I, you know what? I do think it affects how I feel in terms of being too much because when you are doing therapy, it's not about you mm-hmm. and you're not supposed to put yourself out there too much. And because I have really high sensitivities with that, I think that when I talk to a friend and I'm vulnerable and I'm sharing about myself, something about that feels wrong. Mm. And so I think I have skewed in interpretations of where those lines are supposed to be. And I may end up, maybe I cross them sometimes and then freak out, or maybe I don't ever even approach them mm. because I'm so nervous about I don't even I'm nervous. I just think it's because of the work. I just mm-hmm. have been trained not to go there in some way. So I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I Again, I think sometimes the best thing that can happen to you is to be thrown into battle with somebody. Yeah. Because you get over those sensitivities. We all do because I think we all have them. Yeah. We have these boundaries and these little popsicle stick houses where we're like, you have to come to the front door and wave to me through the window right. and do things all the right way. Yeah. And, and the best thing that can happen is for those things to just be blown up and for you to yeah. march into battle together or do something big together um, or just live through the same experience. I think that you hit on something really important with the whole choice piece, too. We do have so many choices these days, and it's so easy to opt out of the battles. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to do that. Yeah. One of my closest friends right now is Angela Reed. Okay. And I don't think that... She's awesome. She's precious. She's fantastic. I, But I wonder if we were just in the... If we had 100 people to, to choose from, mm-hmm. would we be as close as we are now? Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess no, but we live three blocks away from each other. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so when one of our kids needs to go to the ER and the other one needs to not be at the ER with us, yeah, we drop it off at each other's houses yeah. or a cup of flour or like a bad day. And she comes over in her pajamas and watches TV with me some nights. And Aww. we just create a space for each other because we're right there. Yeah. And we don't have to be like, oh, do I really want to get in the car? Do I really, you know, we don't have to jump through all these mental hurdles in our minds. I don't want to speak for her, but this is for me. Yeah. I, I don't have to think about those things with Angela. And we're falling in together. Oh, I love in friendship. that. Yeah. And it's been very important to me. Yeah, what a gift. Yeah. What a gift. Because it doesn't matter how well our personalities mesh as much as it matters that we're just there. Wow. We show up and we're intentional with each other. Yeah. I think that's one of the keys right now in this phase of life is being intentional. Yeah. And being intentional when you have little kids, when you have a, you know, you're teaching or you have your own practice. Yeah. It almost feels wrong again, to go back to what you were saying about therapy, where you feel like you're taking away from the intentionality you could give to your family right? or to your work 
even to your giftings and callings, which are really important and they're very important to be intentional about, but you are a friend to yourself when you allow yourself to find friendship with other people. Yeah. And that requires intentionality. So there's some really beautiful stuff there that I'm going to be thinking about. Yeah. You know, well, even on our street, um, we, it's been really fun to see the relationships grow up and down the street because so many of our children are the same age mm-hmm. and it's the same kind of thing. Hillary gets home and she says, I want to play with Ryan. I want to play with Blake. I want to play with Camden. Um, will you, you know, text or whatever. And so I just send a text and they're like, Oh, they'll be home soon. I'll send them up, you know, and they, mm-hmm. and they come up here and, and it's just those such small ways that we interact on a, such a daily basis that over time really knits us together. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, can you pick, yeah. Cause they all go to the same preschool or almost all of them do. Can you pick them up or, and, and Eloise and Lillian too. I mean, our next door neighbor over here is their daughter is one of Eloise's friends and, um, and they take Eloise to school almost every day, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I had a text this morning, Hey, are you, are you still good to, to drive? And, um, and, and they, over time, it seems like such a little thing, but they start feeling close to you. Mm-hmm. Even if, um, yeah, none of them come over and watch PJ, watch TV in their PJs. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, that's next level. We'll get there. <laughs> no, I, okay. So on top of choice, I think that that highlights another aspect that maybe we struggle with the royal we, our generation, you and me, me, yeah. I don't know. But we struggle with the controlled environments. And right now, we are able to control everything about our friendships. Hey, Emily, it's Missy. Are you free on Tuesday night? I'd love to get coffee. Sure, not Tuesday, but Wednesday. Not not Jumpin' Java, but let's do Starbucks. And, like, we, uh, we curate right. this little bubble that we enter that hosts our friendship. Yeah. But when you have these next door neighbors and these people that you live day in and day out with, you have to remove this veneer of control where you're like, they knock on your door because they need a cup of flour. And you're like, I have not showered in three days. (laughs) Here's your flour. You know, it it takes the control out of it and it helps us to get over ourselves. Yeah. It does make it sound and seem like space matters the space we occupy mm-hmm. and, and maybe in ways that we really don't want to admit in the technological era. You know, mm-hmm. I, I do think the space, the spaces where we have to rub up against each other over and over and over again, mm-hmm. um, it matters. That was actually going to be something else I was going to ask you is how you, how do you think technology has changed friendships? And I'm thinking about, texting and social media, all those different pieces? That is a great question. I love texting. <laughs> I think that I, I, especially as a parent, cause I can have these little sidebar conversations yeah. with other adults Yeah, where I can't, I cannot come to your house every night and <laughs> sit and have a cup of coffee with you. I yeah. can't do that. But we can, like, make fun of something on TV that we saw and joke about it and send gifts to each other and, like, have a great time. So I love that stuff. Um, It can't substitute real friendship. What I do worry about, and I've talked to Dan about this, is the Facebook phenomenon 
where people are posting so much about, especially when they take stands on Facebook about certain things. Um, It is really hard to just be blasted with information and opinions from a person day after day when you don't see them day after day. And if you saw them, and even if you had a conversation about something you disagreed with, that would be a completely different friendship forging situation. Yeah. But when you're just kind of, you know, cow pied with a thought, whether you agree with it or not, I believe it's really erosive. Right. And I've gone through the process recently where I've had to hide a lot of people because I found the pattern of my heart was to think less of them than I know their character to be. Wow. And so it was out of my own desire to protect my heart and my, my, my heart for them that I kind of hit a bunch of people on Facebook, but that's one of my major concerns with technology. Okay. I mean, what about you? What do you think? Wow. I think that is just that you had the wherewithal to do that. I have hidden people and it is, I don't know if it was with as good of intentions as yours. I think it was just I do not want to see your post anymore. <laughs> I've done that too. <laughs> I don't want to see your post anymore. Yeah, I it's I find my behavior on social media, well, and texting, because um, texting is another place where I will feel like, oh no, have I been too much? And so I can and just disengage even in texting, which is just so funny. Um, all what all the I don't even know what all the rules are, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, I find my behavior really interesting on social media. So I do not, and it's changed. I don't post as much on Facebook. I don't really even know, and you are really good. There's, I, I have some friends who are so good at, at, at responding to people. And when I get on Facebook, I, I don't know, I get overwhelmed and I get anxious and I don't know how to respond to people appropriately. Mm. And and then I'm also got so much going on. I don't know if I can do it. Is yeah. So so I'll do lots of likes, you know, thing, and and hearts and all that stuff. But then when people share these really earth shattering things, I I just want to see them in person at some point and mm-hmm. talk to them. And so I do. I worry, or I don't know. Worry maybe a little strong. I wonder. If I come across as uncaring on Facebook, like, is that, is that, can that even be a thing? Like people will post these things and I don't always respond because I almost feel like my response cheapens how I feel about it. So it's mm. like, I, I want, I want to see you in person. Maybe I'll send you a text and I just struggle with it. And so, and then I know that's not all right. Because I see people responding so lovingly and kindly, and I think that that all is good. That this is all how, yeah. So I don't, I don't have myself figured out with mm-hmm. with, um, with it. But yeah, so Facebook, and then I'm different. Instagram and, and Twitter actually feel safer to me because I feel like people can't. Um, I, I don't know why if there people can't say as much. Oh, you can control your Twitter environment <laughs> a little better. <laughs> Interesting, Emily. <laughs> Tell me more. Oh, let me see. <laughs> Here we go. Bless you. Yes. <laughs> my face is turning red. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> you only have to share 140 characters. Can't be too intimate if it's only 140 characters. <laughs> well, and then people could only respond with 140 characters. And and you know what? Uh, I feel like I can throw things out there on Twitter, and there's people that are on Twitter. And so it's like my nice introverted self can kind of just share out into the cosmic nothingness Mm -hmm. and maybe someone sees it. I know that, you know, there's some people I'm close to on Twitter, but maybe they don't. And I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to lob something out there. And it doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel as, yeah, it doesn't feel as vulnerable. It doesn't feel as real. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I like Twitter, Facebook, man. Well then, then if I post something on Facebook, I also get anxious if people make, this is going to sound really funny. Okay. So then I I love getting the comments, but then I'm like, how do I let every single one of these people know that I really love them? And I'm so thankful. How's the weather at the center of the universe, Emily? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it nice? Come join me where we think everything is about us. Send me that quiz because I bet I will score very selfish friends. Like, who knows what they'll say about me, right? Uh, I, I get it, though. I, think I can count Facebook, on you. I can always count on you. It does yeah. generate this anxiety. But Especially when your husband's page. Oh. He... I swear, Smokey the Bear follows him around on Facebook being like, you know how to put out forest fires, don't you? Don't like the match! <laughs> that, okay, so I don't know if you, you, I'm sure you know, like a couple of days ago, yeah, when all that blew up on, does Dan happen too? Because, yeah, John's, I mean, I don't even know. Yeah, those over 200 and some comments on that mm-hmm. post that he did. Yeah, I, I notice like it affects me. Like yeah. it affects me. And then, and then I'm such, um, I can be a little obsessive. So I'm going to see not only who's made comments, but who's liked different comments. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh my god. Oh, I do the same thing. And oh my gosh. It, it is a clear alignment. You can see where people, yeah, where people stand with things. And I've done the same thing where I've liked or certain things and not liked other things. Thank God yeah. there's no dislike button. Yeah. Oh, that's one of the smartest um, things Facebook ever did. Right. Wasn't like, I hate your post button. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But uh, here's here's an experience I had about one of my very best friends <clears throat> a few months ago posting politically. We're pretty different in how we see things politically. And she was posting a lot and I disagreed with it. And I had good reasons why I disagreed with it. But the problem was we weren't in the same room having the conversation. Right. So I kept, every time I'd talk to Dan, I'd be like, oh, she said this. And she's like, doesn't she see how blah, blah, blah? Right. And I had to pray about it. And the Lord spoke very directly to my heart about the whole situation and was like, do you not trust that A... I have a relationship with her and B that she is a person of character. Even if she disagrees with you, that doesn't define her and her character. And I was like, Oh wow. Nope. I need to back off because all of a sudden I'm, I'm repainting her identity into this person. Like it's, it's 
you know, turning into an Andy Warhol over here in my mind. <laughs> if you like him, whatever. But, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's very distorted. Yeah. And so I was like, no, I believe in her character. I believe in her relationship with the Lord. Yeah. The rest is none of my business. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Missy, when, when you talk about that situation, it reminds me of how many times there's been people that I really love and care about who have posted things that in my dark, unfiltered mind, I read them and I'm like, oh, that just seems so ugly to me and hateful and spiteful. And I'm, I'm just shocked and I'm just so appalled. And then I see them and we have the most lovely time mm-hmm. together. And I'm reminded, oh my goodness, this, that's, that's why social media, it's, it's, it's a gift and there's, wow, you have to treat it wisely. I mean, yeah, every time I have that experience and I'm with them in person and I'm like, you are nothing like what I created in my mind Mm -hmm. over these posts. Nothing. Yep. But the thing is we don't have that luxury with 99% of the people we're friends with on Facebook. You know, I mean, there's only a few people that I'm going to get that face to face interaction with mm-hmm. after seeing those kind of posts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think we're evolved enough in our brain to be able to sort that out right yeah. now. We, we, our brains evolve over hundreds of years and all of a sudden Facebook over a decade has <laughs> even Facebook itself has changed from like a, Oh, I wonder what that ex-boyfriend's right. doing to like <laughs> Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. Oh my like, God. Villain, whatever blank yeah. on either side. It doesn't matter, yeah. but that's what it, it, it's, it's become this, um, forum that we feel like if we're not speaking into it, that somehow we're being silent and irresponsible. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Thank you. (laughs) Because what matters is who, if you believe in the reality of God and who he is, then what matters in his kingdom is the tangible Mm. things that he puts in your life and the intangible ways that you allow him to access those things. Yeah. And Facebook is just a place where you can give opinions or even essays, but you don't reach people's yeah. hearts and minds. I, I honestly, even as we're talking, I am just struck with something I think I already knew. I just, I just don't think I know how to use it very well. I, I, I think I'm really poor at using it, and and I don't even know what you're supposed to use you're it supposed for. Supposed to stalk ex-boyfriends. I believe that's <laughs> the only point of it. <laughs> Well, okay. No. <laughs> just kidding. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm just not good at it. And so I don't know when, I mean, yeah, so I'll fumble through it because I do think it's a source of connection. I've thought about getting rid of it. I don't think I can because we, there's too much ha- that happens that's mm-hmm. good or things that I find out about that then people, well, then people assume like, oh, if I put on, you don't know that I, and then they find out you hit them. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> No, it's true. It's like my post. (laughs) You know who doesn't have it is Angela, and she is a very happy human being. Right. (laughs) Even if she misses out on things. Right. Like she just did roll water off a duck's back for her. I just, I think we're addicted to the stimulation. And I I confess, I check it 
many more times a day than even I I would be shocked probably if if my computer popped up a tally you've checked Facebook 291 times I'd be like what <laughs> who am I I hate myself all the time oh, let's hope they never come up with that oh, like I, maybe right. the, the Lord needs us to come up with that I don't know it's just a reality check for yeah. how dependent we are on just like that level of stimulation which is you know a step above Jerry Springer some days right it's just not right right <laughs> the fights on Facebook oh man yeah, it's another. We've gotten to another depressing place, Missy. <laughs> this is good though. I, yeah, because I mean, when you uncover the gangrene of something that's yes. going on in society, the best thing that can happen is the air hits it, and then you start to cut it out. You start to deal with it. Yeah, but I think that's what I don't know. Maybe Facebook and these forums are trial balloons for who will accept us for who we are. Mm. And we find out, like, even based on likes and comments, if anyone is like-minded like us. Maybe. Maybe. Do you feel like you put enough of yourself out there? On Facebook or Mm. in reality? On Facebook, so that that kind of connection could be made? No, I I don't. I don't trust it to do that for me. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I know I don't, and... But then I know these people that are really into technology and social media, and that's almost like their job, and because of different kind of things they do and marketing and, and such, and they will argue to see social media platforms like Facebook is not reality to be to be out of touch. That this no, this is reality now. That, that what what is real right. that, that that things you experience on social media are just as real as what you experience in physicality i i what do you think about that i I think that it's wrong because it it's maybe it's a necessary evil, but like if you're a food addict, food you still have to eat food. Yeah. And there's a level of abstinence that you have to maintain as a food addict, even while you have to consume food. Facebook might be necessary, but there's a level of abstinence that you can apply yeah. to Facebook where you still have a healthy relationship, but realize that it's always seeking to dig its claws in you yeah. and to pull you farther into the, you know, to, into the internet sludge that's out there right yeah i i'm i'm with you like i just i i don't i don't see it as being the same or the same kind of value as being as real you know we talked about putting ourselves out there and doing things and and you asked me like what and i said burn boot camp also you know i'm trying to play tennis once a week and i'm also trying to do yoga once a week and do you know what some of the most valuable things about all of those experiences are for me and teaching? Now that's not something I'm, that's my job, but it's, I teach for like three hours. Right. And I'm, I'm not on my phone that that's it. Mm-hmm. All of these experiences, I cannot be on my phone. Mm-hmm. I can't be on any of these platforms. I can't be looking at texts. I can't. And, and so there's something when I leave tennis, I, I, there is there's a way that I feel that feels incredibly healthy and different mm-hmm. than than these other spaces where I have constant access. 
Um, yeah, when you're doing burn boot camp, that 45 minutes, there is no way that you <laughs> can yes. even my phone's away. It's gone. And this kind of experience, I think that's one reason why I actually miss, I'm not practicing right now, I miss therapy. I I, I would sometimes have, like, because I usually had clients, um, I work two or three days a week, and I would have hours scheduled in a row. And one of the reasons is because it, it, inevitably someone's going to cancel. So at some point you do get a break. But people would say, you know, how, or John would ask, like, I don't understand how you can do that. But I... I loved it because mm. it was this really, it was hard work and it was, it, you know, and there's all kinds of pieces to it that are intimidating and, and, and I can't, I can't get any kind of messages or look at social media, any of those hours. And so at the end of that day, it felt, I, I, I really loved that piece of it. Um, so anyways, yeah, I don't think that it's the same well, kind of reality. That's interesting that you would say that because what comes to mind for me is that the absence of your phone and social media and the outside world is its own form of silence. And to meet with somebody for an hour is a commitment. Yeah. It's intentional and you know you can't go anywhere for yeah. an hour. You can't yeah. be like, oh, yeah, just kidding. There's a phone coming. Yes, honey, what time? Oh, you need me to be home? Oh, okay. I gotta, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to go. Right. You know, like that is a commitment. You have devoted that hour to that person. And I think that there's something that's so healthy about that where, or, you know, even working out where you're like, no, I'm committed to this and nothing will come, you know, no, it's just me and my thoughts or me and my girl who are pushing each other to do another burpee or whatever it is you crazy people do at these things. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. But it's the silence and it's the commitment. Yeah. That intentionality that it takes. Yeah. And when I go, you know, to eat with somebody or coffee or something like, you know, even a conversation like this, the same kind of thing. I put my phone away. Mm-hmm. I don't. And, and every now and then something will come up. I'm like, oh, well, let me check that. But even then I feel, I feel disloyal. Yeah. I feel disloyal in those moments. And I think, is it really worth me looking that it feels like it's dishonoring our time for mm-hmm. me to even pick it up. So yeah, that's, an, yeah, that's, that's just something to think about for sure. Um, okay. What time is it? Oh my gosh. Oh my gab all night. It's, we're doing this for two hours. <laughs> okay. I have some questions for you. Oh my gosh. Okay. 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 Hang on. Okay. okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll just say, I don't even know who want to talk about this. So, I was also going to ask you, and I'm just going to tell you, and then you can let me know which ones you actually want me to ask okay. later. Um, if there's different kinds of friends, um, how can friendship wound us? Oh, we could be here all night. Oh my gosh. Let's just, let's do it. Slumber party. <laughs> Slumber party podcast. <laughs> this is going to be awesome because people definitely want to listen to us for eight hours. <laughs> for sure. The center of the universe feels We're here. just fine. We're here. We're here. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. Good times, good yeah. times. Here, you know, I want to take a selfie. So, I want to take a selfie. No. <laughs> Lactating center of the universe. <laughs> Hang on, my hair is like sticky. <laughs> like, I-
<laughs> Doc okay, okay. the center. Okay. Okay. Big smile. Okay. All right. I got it. I might put that on Twitter. <laughs> You'll never see it because you're never on there. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not on Twitter. Oh, Twitter. Twitter. Okay. My introverted safe place. <laughs> Your controlled environment. You are calling me Twitter out. is a double blind study for Emily. <laughs> you, oh my gosh. Oh. Busted. <laughs> yep. Okay, so who wants to go first? Okay. Uh, well, let's do your serious ones because <clears throat> I have some, some not so serious ones. Okay. All right, so, yeah, I think I wanted to ask, and I know these these questions may be hard to answer in some ways, but I think they're worth asking, and they're important to ask. So I wanted to know if you, well, the first question I was going to ask is kind of obvious. I was going to ask how you think that friendship, or if friendship, can wound us, and if so, in what ways? Yeah, I'll st- I'll just stop with that. How can friendship wound us? I think friendship will wound us. And if it doesn't, mm-hmm. we're not doing it right. Oh. Or we haven't done it long enough. I see. Wow. I, and yeah. that's, that is so hard to say because, again, we do, we wrap ourselves in packing bubbles to get through life because we... You are stepping all over me <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So what I mean, what do you think? No, you're right. You're right. You're just saying it out loud. Yeah, it's so true. I have I found yeah. a, a, one of the scriptures that I love um is about is better than the wounds better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Mm. And you know, believing that um, yeah, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an, an enemy multiplies kisses. Wow. So <clears throat> at some point, I think we run into these wounds and it's what we deal with them. Do we just walk away and just bleed out in that relationship for the rest of our lives and, you know, let that... I feel like relationships are... okay. Total rabbit trail. I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about divorce. And <clears throat> you can edit this out because I don't want this to be controversial. But I was thinking about my pro-life beliefs and mm-hmm. um, that how I'm not for abortion. I understand there are very special circumstances that are end-of-life decisions. And that's a side. That's yeah. When yeah. you're treating... Uh, you know, an unborn child with the dignity and still have to end its life because of terrible circumstances. That's different. Yeah. Abortion as a whole, I, I can't get behind. And I was thinking, you know, it's because of my Christian beliefs that I believe that, but I find myself not as ardent against divorce as I would. Like if a friend were coming to me and was like, I'm getting an abortion that I would approach it much more differently than if a friend mm. came to me and said, I'm getting a divorce. Now, again, biblical standards aside. Yeah, sure. Whatever. I was thinking that relationships actually, when the Lord puts so much weight on marriage, I wonder if 
he means it because it's its own entity and it's almost like its own person, its own life. Wow. And I think that that might be some of the things that the Lord has in mind with friendship among especially believers who can seek the Lord together is that there's a, there's a bond of friendship. That's not just a thing, but a life and that there's a sanctity to it that if there's a wound that happens and we walk away, that wound bleeds out of that life and it becomes a corpse and it just perishes. And it takes a miracle really to bring life back into that friendship again. Yeah. But I wonder if that's the level that we're supposed to approach friendship with as people in the body of Christ. Yeah. It's challenging in our world where there are so many choices and you can walk away. Yes. All the time. Yep. You can close Facebook and hide people and wow. But I think that that's, that's its own thing. Yeah. I look at that as like a, a paper doll in in comparison to a friendship yeah, where you and I are talking and I say something that hurts you and you make the choice, like that wound is too great. We won't, we won't speak again. We won't be in the same room again. Like there's a life that, that wow. it's withered. There's breath yeah. that goes out of that yeah. life between us, you know? Yeah. So yeah, really beautiful and touching picture. Yeah. So I guess related to that is, um, how does one end a friendship and what? Oh, that's such a good, that's actually one of the questions I was going to ask you. I asked you first. Okay. <laughs> the, the trump card. Okay, fine. You, you asked me first. I'm rubber. You're glue. <laughs> um, how do you end a friendship? I don't know. I've had friendships end, and some of it, some of them were because like difficult things were said or done and that was the end of it. And I don't know, maybe the Lord will challenge me at a point in my life to restore those relationships. That is not outside of his jurisdiction. Okay. So as you said that, I just considered a redemptive quality of social media. Oh, okay. Right. So there are friendships I've had that, either drifted away or faded and maybe it was just natural. You know, that's just happens Mm -hmm. and that's natural. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. And maybe it's because we did change over time and our interests changed. Maybe there was underlying, um, tension, whatever, you know, and I am friends with most of these people on social media and it's been very, almost healing for me to see their posts over and over again, Mm. see them walking their dog, getting married, having kids, um, doing all these daily life things. It's made me feel connected to them again. Mm. And some really, that's maybe, maybe it's not real, but it's been, it's felt like I'm able to keep, these pieces that, um, that felt like they faded in mm-hmm. some way and they did fade and, and we're not, you know, close, but it feels, it still feels good to see my friend from however long ago pop up. Yeah. You know? Do you feel like the wound is being healed? 
Or do you think that there's life coming back to that friendship in the beginning stages? I don't... Well, that's probably the... That's that's probably what would need to be teased out. I don't know if the wounds are healed through all of that, you know, that kind of social media interaction. I, I think time itself does that. Maybe seeing some of those things aids in it. I don't think it's putting life back in it. Mm-hmm. We're just, you know, we talk about space and occupying space. We're in such different places. I don't, I don't, I don't think we'll have the opportunity to put that kind of life back in it. I do think, okay, I do think, though, if for whatever reason I saw some of these people again in person, and some of these, it's not like bad stuff happened. Things just faded mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I do think social media maybe gives us a playing field for reconnecting Hmm. maybe in a quicker way, maybe tipping our toe in the water a little bit and being like, yeah. Okay. If I, if I see them walk their dog, how does that make me feel? Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm glad they have, they look peaceful. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad I feel peace. I'm glad I'm happy for them (laughs) that they're peaceful. You know, when you really do have a fracture, I think that it is important to start on those little, little, little bits. Like, okay. I hope they have a nice Christmas. Well, look at that. Right. I'm not hoping their house burns down. Yeah. Go me. <laughs> yes, it's like it helps you. Okay. And I think we've talked about this um, at Renovatius at church. I Well, so in, in therapy, there's this theory called uh, narrative theory. And the idea, there's, there's a lot to it, but one of the ideas behind it is that you help someone restory their life. Mm-hmm. So... They're not, they obviously can't go back and change what's happened to them, but they can get new ways of talking about it. Mm. And so I think that some of these situations, those memories or whatever happened are still back there, but seeing these, these other narratives play out on social media helps you restory what you think about their character Mm. and who they are and maybe even what happened back then. And, and that can be kind of powerful, as long as they're not one of the ones making the really awful posts. Mm. <laughs> right, and then you're right back down to hating them again. Right, right back. Then I'm hitting them, and I don't have to even worry about it. <laughs> Trigger warning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um, have you ever rekindled mm. a meaningful friendship after a rift or a loss? Or a deep wound or a fracture in a relationship? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, that's that's a bit... I have to think about that for a minute. Um, I would say superficially. But see, I think sometimes some of these things happen and then you move on with your life. And so... It's so hard, and feel you don't even know if it'd be worth the effort or the energy for either one of you, or if there's even any purpose in going back to that level mm-hmm. again. So, I don't have a lot of those, honestly, that there feels like there was this huge rift. But really, I don't. And there's some friendships that fell away that really felt sad to me. Mm-hmm. And and again, I don't know. And there and I can't remember there being some, you know, heated words. But 
ultimately, I don't know if it's because we just left college or we went on to do different things. Um, yeah, I don't think I've ever totally rekindled to the same level. And again, I'm struggling with that because I don't know why. I don't think it's, I think it's mostly life circumstances. Mm -hmm. If we were in the same city and the same church and whatever, I think there's a really good chance that we could. Yeah. What about you? It's, it's, it's hard when we live in such a globalized world where people just, when you drift away, it's not because they move 10 miles down the street. It's because they moved, you know, oh. Italy. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I can't, I, I can think of a time in my life where the school that I went to, the Bible school, went through a split. Mm. And I was 19. This has more to do with mentor-like relationships okay. than actual friendships. And I've had to do some reconstructing in my mind of a situation, of several situations as an older person. Now I'm in my 30s. And, you know, I know that that's not the wisdom of the ages, but Mm -hmm. I'm able to look back on it and understand the weakness of grown adults. Right. In a way that I didn't understand them back then. So I was, I've been able to work through some forgiveness but it's not even like those relationships have been restored to, um, you know, a, um, oh, a vibrancy, right? Um, again, uh, but again, it's like time and place. It's like if you divorce somebody after you have kids, you have this connection where you're still like you're you'll be bumping up against them for the rest of your life. Yeah. If you divorce your spouse without kids, you can just go about your yeah. ways. I feel like that's what friend divorces are it's like well we don't have kids we don't have to see each other again if we don't you know uh, yeah it's crazy yeah i don't know but it also feels like there are so many other friend fish in the sea you know but is there i mean i yes i hear what you're saying because we have so many opportunities to encounter other people that maybe we didn't 50 years ago and i feel like because of that it's almost like it doesn't feel like there is as much availability. We're all busy and there are so many people and maybe because there's so many people, it's hard to know and actually get traction. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I go to burn boot camp every morning and tennis once a week and um, yoga. But you know what? The only people in those inv- and of course, you know, I, if I was, if I did that for five years, maybe this would be different, but the only people that I have traction with in those environments are the people I know in another space too. Mm-hmm. So I see Emily Zimmer at Burnt Boot Campus. She's leaving because she gets there at five in the morning. Of course. <laughs> Unless of course she stays and does a double just to hang out with me. Oh, the other day, listen, she stayed and did a double. She does that one with me. And then she's like, have a good day. I'm going to stay and do a few more burpees. I was like, what I'm leaving. She's so driven. I don't, I can't eat a bag of Doritos with the same dedication that she can do for boot camp. I mean, it's, oh, it's, it's unreal. But yeah, so I, yeah, there's nobody there that, and and, then, and then tennis, there's one person at tennis that I work with too. Mm -hmm. And so I see her at work as well. Okay. But there's nobody, I mean, I don't, 
And, and now it is true. The last time at tennis, someone at tennis asked for my phone number because she wanted me to play on one of their little teams. So I think over time, and you know, you know, one of my motivators for all of this, um, for, for some of this is my uncle died a little over two years ago and I went to his funeral and he lived in North, he lives in North Carolina. So we were, we had just moved here. And so I was able to go over and it was in November and just a few hours away. And he, his funeral was really telling of his life in so many ways by who showed up. He had, so he rode horses, they owned horses. Mm. And so he was a member of this group that would go horseback riding. He had, and, and he'd been doing this for years. And so all of that crowd came hmm. and loved him dearly. He also played golf a couple of times a week. So he had all of those people wow. that showed up. He was in the Air Force and he had all of, and he'd been retired years, but he was, they'd still stayed in touch. He had all those people show up. He'd been a middle school principal. And that was kind of his, you know, how people do in military. He retired and then he had a second career and then he retired from that. So they, then all of those people were there. Wow. He was in the choir at church. And so he had that community and I'm just, it, it really like shook me because I, at that point could not think of anything I had that meaningful outside of church. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't think of a group that I was building friendships with around an activity. Mm. And it, you could tell it had brought so much richness to his life and not just to his life, to his kids' lives and his wife, mm. my aunt, because they all knew and they were very caring towards all of them too. Wow. So yeah, that was right after we moved here. And I think it, it made a huge impact on me to see all of that. And, and it made me think, I, I want to make some different choices in the next couple of years. Mm. Um, because I, yeah, I want, I want a lot of people to come to my funeral now. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So what, it's right. nice. It's balmy at the center of the universe. <laughs> the sun never sets. <laughs> it's wonderful. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a legacy of friendship. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's, I think, what's that scripture about? How God calls us friend. Um, wow. I'm trying to think. Man, like, he must put mm. so much stock in friendship. If right. he calls us a friend, it, it's got to be so important. Okay, John 15, 12 through 15. <clears throat> My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father. I've made known to you. That's like the Jesus mic drop to me in the new Testament. Okay, Missy, you're talking about all this. I mean, you know what I thought of there is. So one idea I encountered in graduate school and it was at a seminary there I went um, for my marriage and family therapy degree, but it was this idea of the family and the our idea of family and even marriage in our society right now 
is borderline idolatrous. Mm. Just go ahead. Preach. <laughs> preach for a little bit, girl. You got it on you. Go ahead. <clears throat> and that we have put, so we've got focus on the family. And everything is about... Now, are you talking about the organization? <laughs> I am. Jim Dobson. <laughs> I am. Which I'm going to do lots of good in the world. But just this, I, the, the, that at that point, they were kind of in their heyday. Like, everyone uh-huh. was about focus on the family and everything, all the good stuff. And they, they are. I'm not, I'm not against... I mean, I don't know what I'm for and against folks on the family. I don't know enough about them. Whatever but. you do, you should post it on Facebook, <laughs> whether you're for or against it. You should right, definitely right. make sure. Right. right. On Facebook. <laughs> that would give me... Like, I would literally like have anxiety the rest of the day, Missy. The rest... Because the world revolves around me. And mm-hmm. I'm just sure everyone's seeing my post and thinking about it. <laughs> so, I... Yeah, I think that sometimes... We've put so much stock and pressure on this very modern view of what family and marriage is supposed to look like that it's too much, that it's put, it puts too much pressure on those institutions and it doesn't make room for, um, friendship or, um, people who are single. I I don't, I don't even know all the implications, Mm -hmm. but I think it's, it almost gets in the way of the witness of the church. Mm -hmm. So when you were talking about that, I I just, I when just reading that scripture and and how much stock and weight that's even in that on friendship. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of, of that. I mean, it was pretty, you know, man, the idea of family is idolatrous. Like Mm -hmm. I still remember it being kind of like, whoa, in my face. I just never considered it. What do you think about when I say all of that? Well, I, I think about at the beginning of our conversation, you were saying that one of the things that you want to do is model friendship for your kids so that they can see wow. you having friends. Yeah. Do we model friendship with God in mm. front of our children? How right. will they know how to be friends with God? Do right. we even know how to be friends with God? Right. I Yeah. Or are we just you know, busy being his children. Mm. And that's, that's not appropriate. It's appropriate when you first come to salvation and you're drinking the milk of the world, the word, Yeah, you're not, you, the expectations are not super high for you getting it right all the time. Yeah. But the Bible is clear about a maturity trajectory in believers. And just as I right now, my conversations with my children are a lot of like, eat your vegetables, yeah. get to bed on time, brush your teeth. As they mature, my one of my deepest desires is that I can have more friendship conversations. Oh, yeah. How much more does God, like what, how, how many times does that phrase come up in the Bible? How much more does God desire that for us? If we, as humans, like we're not giving our kids stone if they ask for a bread how much more will your father in heaven look after you if we want friendship with our kids if we want friendship with each other how much is god sitting on his throne craving a conversation with us yeah and when we get to our deathbeds yes i hope a lot of people come to our funeral but man i hope that the face that i'm excited to see (laughs) is god himself yeah because that's the only friendship that we carry into eternity. Every other friendship dies in this form on this earth. 
I think we're going to have friendships on the other side in heaven because God is a God of relationships. Yeah. But his rela- the relationship with the Lord is going to be paramount. Yeah. Oh, man. I love that idea of having more friendship-like conversations with God because I, I think what it reminds me of is how much I'm enjoying Eloise mm. right now. She and I talk, and she comes to me and wants to tell me things, and mm. she asks me question, hard questions, and 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 then she and I will, you know, listen to music together. That, yeah, I mean, just when we, and we go out, and I don't know, it, it feels like I'm definitely still her mom, mm. and. It's, it is a different place than we were a few years ago. And and it feels so rich mm-hmm. and good. And I'm so thankful. It's actually what helps me handle, because I'm pretty sentimental and can get very you know emotional about different things and transitions. But that my relationship with her is what's helping me with like Hillary going to kindergarten. Because I know, I'm like, this, mm. get, this gets better. Glory to glory. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that up about God. And and it just made me think about what I model for them in that regard, too. Yeah. That's um, good stuff, man. That is so good. <laughs> lightning round. Ready? Lightning round. Lightning round. Okay, lightning round with Missy Kava is a little <laughs> scary for me. <laughs> I feel a little intimidated right now. No, this is just a little more of a Rorschach test for you. Oh my okay. gosh! No, I'm not <laughs> supposed to make me feel better. Okay. Yes, I believe we've shamed you enough tonight. It's one of your gifts, Missy. <laughs> the gift of shame. It's super rewarding. People clamor to be with me. <laughs> I just, I love it. My dance card is full. <laughs> okay. Who is your modern day fantasy friend? Oh, someone alive today. Oh, Missy, see what I mean? Modern you are the best friend. question asker. Oh my gosh. Um you can pick a couple. Like if you want to do a political sphere, oh, or ooh, a thanks for the help. Like Hollywood sphere okay. or something okay. like that. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. Um, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to try not to overthink this. Okay. Okay. Lightning round. Lightning, lightning, <laughs> lightning, lightning round. Oh, your poor little achieving face. You're so stressed out. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'm not trying to overthink this because later on I'll be like, why did I say that? <laughs> You're going to be editing this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And then I'm going to feel like for integrity reason that I can't edit the very parts that I want to. I'm going to be like, you can't edit that because you're like hiding. Just put it on Twitter and you can hide all you want to. Oh my gosh. Harsh. Okay. Um, all right. right, right. Lightning round, Missy. I'll, I'll edit out all this. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. No, it's okay. These aren't as easy as it seems like. No. Because your mind has to go through this Rolodex of people Mm -hmm. that you've... Okay, so this is going to sound really cheesy, but I think I would love to be friends with Lorelai and Rory. 
<laughs> that's cute. It's cute. Okay, now that's not the question because that question's <laughs> coming later, but we can answer that question. Oh, my so well, well fantasy friends. Well, what I mean by fantasy friend is like you're obviously never going to meet this person, but if you could be friends with them, like well, I'm never going to Michelle meet, Obama. I'm never going to be meet. Um, Rory okay, well this okay. This question then <laughs> is. Who is your fantasy fictional friend? <clears throat> oh, oh. That's Lorelai and Rory. Well, Anna Green Gables. I mean... Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? Or Emily of New Moon. Did you read that series what? too? No. What? Ellen Montgomery has another series, and it's Emily of New Moon. It's only three books. Whoa. So good. Under the radar. I'm going to have to get that. Yeah. Especially yeah. if my little okay. girls grow up. Madeline Lingle. Although I've oh. heard that she is... Um, not actually as pleasant in person as she would have. They never they are. They never are, are they? <laughs> they never are. The authors that you love. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned Michelle Obama. Who wouldn't want to be, I don't know, in some kind of friendship with I her? I feel like she'd be judging my food choices a lot. Oh. Yeah, we can't do that. We can't do that. I'd be like, um, burger. Oh, right. Hold the burger. Oh. Just the lettuce. I'll take the lettuce. Do you think she really eats that well? No, I think she's super cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. There's so... Okay, what are some of my... Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say right now. I don't know. I used to... Okay, oh, Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm real curious about like you, her. So. Yeah. Yeah, she's always been like one of my favorites. Oh, and then, um, but she, she, we not, she and I may both just be super standoffish and we never talk. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Um, how's Apple? She's fine. <laughs> right. Okay. See you later. Um, oh, Meryl Streep. I love Meryl Streep. She loves our conscious uncoupling. <laughs> Apple's fine. <laughs> okay. Meryl Streep. Go ahead. <laughs> I get it. It did not go over my head. Did not. Um, hit me right here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm going to just stop. There. Okay, Meryl Streep. Okay, that's yeah. a good one. Okay. Yeah. All right, so for me, fictional, um, I want to say Lucy Ricardo because oh she just God. seems like a lot of fun. Yeah. But I think I'm too stodgy for that, and I think I'd be annoyed and be like, well, why did you put the bread in the washing machine. Oh. Couldn't you see this coming? Like, <laughs> so I'd probably turn into that version of myself that I think. Okay. Okay. Oh, I can't I've seen that version of you, Missy. <laughs> no doubt. I've seen it's getting it. harder and harder to hide yeah. in my old age. I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> now you're calling me out. Yeah. Can you just put something on Twitter? Stop talking about <laughs> Oh, I will. You're going to tweet that, aren't I you? I totally will. I know Missy's greatest flaw. <laughs> hey, yep, I will. <clears throat> what about Tina Fey? I just thought if it's someone funny, I love to laugh. So Yeah. Tina Fey. Tina Fey, I've heard she's super cool. Yeah. Like, it, her and Amy Poehler. <gasps> if you and I could go out with <laughs> Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Dream. Oh, my gosh. We would never come home. We would never come Okay, did you ever read Bossy Pants? Yes. Okay. Laugh to tears. Me too. I listened to it, and she read it. I listened to it driving back and forth from school, and it was, oh, oh, yeah, so good. I love it. Mm -hmm. Okay, Tina Fey. You 
mutual. We have that in common. All right. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you could be friends with someone from history, an actual person, nonfiction, but someone from history. Well, you never said, okay, you said, you said a fictional, but did you say like a real person? Oh, nonfictional. Yeah. I, um... I probably, wish, I probably should have come with an answer <laughs> to my own question. <laughs> Tough, isn't it? That would have been I'll smart. say what you said. You know, you can break it up, political sphere. <laughs> you know what, who looks like he's a barrel of laughs is George W. Bush. <gasps> Aww. I follow him on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Aww. He has done this series where he paints um, war veterans. Like, he is an artist, and he paints huh. their portrait. Wow. And I think about our conversation about silence and what a study that must be, especially as a man who sent men to war. Like how, what, how, what a, what a deep, meaningful 30 hours it must be to spend yeah. like, you know, painting the most intimate detail of a man's face who's experienced something. It's beautiful. You know, he just seems like, yeah. And he's like seventy and like riding mountain bikes and stuff like that. I hope that I see that. Yeah, like, I hope that's. I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. That's I cool. gotta know. I gotta know what it's like to hang out with him. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, probably him and Barack Obama would be like a hoot to be in the same oh, room. Oh, yeah. I just feel like they all that that they're all okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. So your next one was historical. Historical. I feel like I have so I'm I'm like insecure about my answers, Missy. Like I'm don't let my history degree intimidate you in any oh, way. Oh, Missy, <laughs> you just made it worse. No, oh. I have a degree in like Nazis and stuff. You wouldn't want to be friends with any of them. No. Oh, well, Anne Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Girl. That got sad real fast. <laughs> oh you brought up Nazis. I mean, you don't want to be friends with them. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring up the Nazis. Okay, I'll go first. Okay. Yeah, I, w- yeah, I would me. love to be friends with this this woman whose name is Boudicca. I might have brought her up in the past because she fascinates me. Uh-huh. She's this warrior queen from Great Britain back when it was under Roman rule. Okay. And she raised up this army because all the men had gone to war against Rome. Wow. She raised up this army of all women, including five of her daughters, something like this. And they, like, kicked butt. (laughs) They were, like, the most fearsome people. And they fought to the death. But, like, she must have been insane because, oh, man, I'd love to hang out with Boudicca. That. I want to be friends with her. You know, I don't think you've ever talked about her with me. If you did, I'd forgotten. So yeah. now I've got to go. Okay, I've got to look that up. All right. Well, then that gives me permission to tell you the first so I, the thing that came up. I have always had a kind of a, maybe who hasn't, a fascination with monarchy. So I'm watching Victoria right now Ah, uh-huh. on PBS. Have you watched it yet? Not yet. It's so good. I can't wait. It's so, so good. So I, but I love, um, Queen Elizabeth the first. Mm-hmm. I love her whole story. So that's actually who came to my mind first. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth the first. But after that, maybe Victoria. But only because I'm watching her show right now. 
which is probably 50% fictional. <laughs> I mean, it always is, but yeah. there's, there's going to be kernels of truth that I'm sure yeah. are like, hmm. I look things up, you know, I'm like, okay, is this, is this for real? So, yes. Wow. We're super into royalty. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. That's why I kind of made that face when you started saying that about Boudicca. Mm-hmm. Because the first person was Queen Elizabeth I that came to my mind. She was just, I just feel like, man, yeah, she really managed a lot and stood up for a lot. Yeah. She was one of the first feminists. Right. <laughs> I want to call her something that I won't because I'd have to edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> Beep. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, those are good questions. Yeah. Let's see. Good ones. Tells a lot. Yeah. What do you th- what do you think you're saying about you? Oh, see, I knew as soon as you said it tells a lot. I was like, <laughs> oh no, what does it say? Hour four <laughs> of the Emily and Missy podcast. <laughs> oh, Colon, right. center of the universe. <laughs> right here. Welcome everybody. Um, yeah. Well, what is this? I mean, I mean, I could read into. Okay, I have I have actually had throughout my lifespan. A really strong interest in monarchy, but I've also been really interested in World War II. So it's interesting mm-hmm. you mentioned the, um, like the, the Nazis. Um, so I remember feeling a little morbid that I was so interested in World War II. Mm-hmm. Have you read Brock and Bodie <clears throat> Taney's um, book series on World War II? No, I haven't. They have someone recommended it to me when we moved to Germany. I mean to to Prague, and it. It's all about World War II, and every book has a name of a European city in it, and it's very detailed. It's detailed so much to the point where I read somewhere that they use them sometimes in history classes. Mm. So it's really well-researched, but I love those books, and it's all about World War II and the Nazi occupation and and Prague and Vienna. Wow. um, Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. What does it say that I'm interested in? morbid things like World War II and also kings and queens. I don't think it says that, excuse me, that you're into morbid things. I think what it really says about you is that you're interested in things that matter. Things that really have weight. Which you are too. So we're going to just take that together. Do you need any suntan lotion in the center of the universe? Are you feeling a little crisp? (laughs) Wow, this sounds so nice. Would you like a sweet tea or a mojito? Right. We're going to say that about ourselves. Yeah. We're interested in things that matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's because we really care. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do think what I've told myself, cause I have wondered like, wow, why am I interested in these two different things? Uh, that that's not that uncommon that mm-hmm. a lot of people are interested in the monarchy and I think what it more. also begs the question is like, could we handle it? Yes. Do we yeah. have what it takes yeah. to live through a Nazi occupation or yep. to rule a country that's divided? Yep. I think that's... Yeah. I mean, I th- I'm <clears throat> pretty sure that's a thinly veiled Rorschach test for Boudicca for me. Like, I want to know if I could go to war Missy, with a bunch of chicks. I have no doubt that you could. <laughs> I have no doubt. I'm serious. Like, I, yeah, Boudicca here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. changing my name. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, any other questions in your lightning round? No, I think that's it. Wow. This has been so much fun. I've had a great time. I mean, I knew it would be, but I just kind of was like, ooh, I was like, oh, 
I just want to see what happens when the sea goes. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. So thank you for taking time out to hang out with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Am I your friend? <laughs> Girl, <laughs> you're my Queen Elizabeth I. <laughs> you're my... <laughs> I'm changing your contact info on my phone right now. Thanks again for joining us on Unstuck. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider giving us a review on iTunes or sharing this podcast on your preferred social media outlet. Until next time, breathe life in deep, embrace the journey, and notice the details. See you later, friend.